you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. We're here. Football is finally here. And this is the opening week episode of the season with Peter Schrager. Aaron Wong Kaufman joins me here in New York City. We're recording this on Tuesday. Kickoff is on Thursday. Ah, I'm excited. Aaron, are you ready? Have you fully gotten over the summer and shifted and turned that page to first day of school football's here mode? I'm not ready. I, I don't know how I'm going to feel come Sunday when it's suddenly hours and hours and yeah. hours of football. It sneaks up on you, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to have Thursday to start, which is one game and like really get into it. But yeah, that's Sunday. Back to back games. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm so excited and I'm also not ready. So I work a daily show and when I complain about being on in June and May, it's because there's nothing to talk about. It's like, Random player, you know, tweeted this, do three hours on it. Football season starts. I'm looking at a schedule with 16 games. We could talk football. I don't need to talk about Marquette King's tweets anymore, or I don't need to talk about what Chandler Jones posted on Instagram in the middle of June while he was on a boat in Hawaii. Like, we are here, and I love it. And I feel like I almost have too much information in my head. I have to, like, dummy it down a little bit and sift through it and be like, okay, now that we're here, let's make rational football predictions and football thoughts and kind of be satiate with this thing. I know I've been hyping Jameer Gibbs and the Lions for, for three months. Am I really putting Jameer Gibbs in the same breath as Emmett Smith and Jim Brown? Maybe I could just take a step back, but it's my excitement. And I know I love what I do because we're here and like I'm giddy. I feel like this is our gift. This is the gift. And now Find me in week 13 after 12 weeks of travel and tr and flight delays and eating the same Delta meal. Maybe I feel differently, but coming off summer, as sad as I am to, to see the summer done, like it is a beautiful gift to see Thursday night NBC on the schedule and it not be preseason and it not be some uh, terrible game show or reality show and it be actual NFL football. Um, that's Thursday night. Lions, Chiefs. If you want a comprehensive preview, you can watch Good Morning Football in the morning. And then Sunday, we have a slate of games from the football gods. I cannot wait. And I think it's an awesome one on Fox at 4.30 on America's Game of the Week. Bears hosting Packers. Kyle Brandt, my co-host on Good Morning Football, said this might be the most important Bears game in 20 years. And they've played in multiple playoff games since then. Just the, This feels like the NFC North is finally open for business. Now, I know that the Vikings won it last year and the Packers didn't even make the playoffs. But with Aaron Rodgers out of Green Bay, Chicago sees a light here, a little light at the end of the tunnel that, wait, maybe the next 10 years, this could be our division. And Aaron Rodgers, who figuratively... And realistically, owns the Bears is no longer there anymore. So 
Packers, Bears. I think it's the game of the week on Sunday. I know Brady's being honored and they're playing the Eagles and we can split hairs over which game's a better game. I'm personally most excited for this Bears versus Packers game and to see Fields versus Love and Jordan Love, the mystery man. And because that's the game I'm so excited for and because we're a big time podcast and because I've got the best relationships in the world, I was able to call up Greg Olson, who's calling the game on Sunday for Fox. Fresh off his first Super Bowl, this will be the first time he's calling an actual non-preseason football game since. And we've got him on the podcast. Let's welcome in our guest, uh, a great friend of mine and the lead NFL announcer for Fox Sports. He's coming off a year in which not only called an NFC championship game, but then called an amazing Super Bowl. Uh, one of the best dudes uh, as a player and now one of the best dudes in the media game, Mr. Greg Olson. Welcome to the season with Peter Schrager. What's up, buddy? It's good to be on, man. I feel like I've been waiting for my call to be on the show. It finally came. This is it. You got the call. Uh, you also got the call to call a Super Bowl last year. I think we were all blown away by your performance when you were a current player and you would jump in like as a three-man booth, whether it was, it was Charles Davis, it was Burkhardt at the time, or whoever it was. And then you get the full-time assignment a couple years back and Aikman's the number one guy. Aikman leaves for Monday Night Football and you ascend to the number one chair in a Super Bowl year. And Greg, I don't think you need to hear it from me, but you hit it out of the park. You were awesome. Uh, your experience calling a Super Bowl in year number one as the lead Fox announcer. You know, it, it was hard. It was kind of hard to imagine everything playing out the way it did, you know. And, you know, as you said, when I signed on, and you know, following the 2020 season, I retired and signed on in 21, uh, you know, joined Kevin on the second crew and was really excited for that. Right. I thought, all right, you know, do this for a while and, and we'll see where it goes. Never in my wildest imagination did I think that next offseason leading into last season, that the musical chairs that was sports media and especially with the top broadcast teams across all the different networks would change so quickly. And the opportunity and the seat opened. And, you know, I was fortunate that after just one year of really calling games, Burkhart and I found, well, not one year for Burkhart, one year for me, a long time for Burkhart, that the two of us found found ourselves together again, albeit um, on a different crew and just so happened to be a Super Bowl year. So it was it was quite the ride. It was quite the experience and, um, you know, and one that I'm thankful for and, and excited to to do it again this year. Did you treat it like any other game? Like, I know it's easy to say I approach it one week at a time, but God, there's two weeks to prepare and it's the Super Bowl and it goes from 20 million, which is no small potatoes to like hundreds of millions watching. Did you go into it? Like, I've got to have a catchphrase or I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to have the call of a lifetime where they're going to play this back on NFL films for 30 years. Or do you just try to hone in and think, okay, it's week six, Tampa Bay taking Atlanta. Uh, let's just treat it like that. Yeah. You know, I, I got some really good advice from, from a lot of people who had been kind of in it, you know, just, you know, who would call it Super Bowls, especially just on our team, right. With with Z and Russo and Aaron and Tom and just, and, and obviously first one for me and Kevin. So, you know, just being on a team that had a lot of people that had called Super Bowls and knew at the moment felt like it was very similar to my, you know, the, when I was a player and, and the weeks leading up to the Super Bowl felt like months. And then the game felt like minutes. It really was exactly once the game started, right. We had two weeks of prep after the NFC championship game, um, which was an interesting game done, you know, in its own right, yeah. with everything that went down with Purdy and, there was no quarterback and it was a weird game. Then we kind of had this lull for the first week where, you know, nothing really going on. And then we get to Arizona, then we get to Arizona, we have Super Bowl week. So it was very much as a player where 
it, you know, you're reading everything. You want to make sure you have your storylines. You're diving into the weeds. And then once the game started, just like as a player, it was over in a blur, right? The, the hours and hours of my board and these detailed notes, I think I went a quarter and a half and didn't even look down, right? Like you just get captured into the moment of the game, the energy of the game. All of your prep kind of plays out as the game unfolds on the screen. And we were very fortunate that the game was incredible, right? It came right down to the wire, came right down to the last possession, which is what all of us kind of cheer for. So the game cooperated, which makes it a lot easier for the broadcast team because there's so much exciting things to, to talk about and so many different personalities and storylines. So we got lucky with the teams. We got lucky with the game. And it the game, it felt like we started, then Rihanna sang, and then it was over. Like that's, that's literally, good, that was literally what happened. That's the memory. And like the Rihanna thing, like, so I'm just thinking, you know, I, I was on the studio show that morning all afternoon into the night. Then we get to kick back and kind of just watch the game in a green room. You guys are calling it. Rihanna goes on and Carissa and I are like, all right, we're going to go and try to watch it on the field. We walk on out into the tunnel. We're with Sean Payton. Sean Payton stays out there. No one bothers him. They tell me and Carissa, you guys have to go back. Uh, no one's allowed on the field. And I'm like, Sean Payton, they weren't going to mess with. So we go back and we watched Rihanna from the green room, which is in like, did you watch Rihanna? Or are you studying depth charts? and being like, is Mahomes coming out in the well, second half? Are you able to like enjoy the Super Bowl while you're calling it? So I love Rihanna, right? Like I, yeah, I love who so doesn't? songs. She's got so many good songs. So, but it's really funny. So you, and you said it, the, the Mahomes thing kind of changed my halftime plan. Like I was like, I can't wait till halftime. We, they always serve us food. You know, they bring up yep. chicken fingers or whatever. And uh, I'm like, I'm going to make a plate of food. I'm going to go take, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm going to come back and I'm going to watch Rihanna and enjoy it, whatever. Well, Mahomes gets rolled up like right before halftime, right? So I'm like, holy shit. Like what am yeah. I going to, what are we going to talk about if Mahomes can't play? Aside from Mahomes not playing, but like, what yeah. are the other storylines? Like, where do we go? We got to start talking about other people. So I'll never forget it. I'm sitting like at, on the little, um, like there's like a little desk in our booth and I'm sitting there and I have my notebook, which has like all my storylines and thoughts that I've kind of put together over the weeks. And I remember being like, you know, I don't like this song. And then I'm like, wait, wait, wait. And then they did like, I found love, you know? And like, I take a break and I'm like, I love this song. I gotta listen. I got, okay, I'm sorry. I gotta listen. I was going in and out, like based on what song she was singing. But now from the press box, like from our, from our booth, when she got lifted onto those like conveyor, you yeah. know, those like platforms, she was like eye level with us. So from where we, our vantage point, she's like eye level performing um, on the little platform, I'm like going through my my chart and my thing like, all right, what are, what do we want? How are we going to pick up the second half if Mahomes does come out, if he doesn't come out? Well, you know, all this stuff. And then like in between, I'm like, oh, my God, I love this song. And I'm like yeah. captured in this. Well, know, if she's eye level, you don't want to be rude and, no, and not look at, at Riri. Like if if she sees Riri. you, you can't be looking at notes about, uh, yeah, about Chad Henney. I don't want to insult Riri and she's got a baby on board, <laughs> which was a big announcement. And so – I, I wanted to be respectful of the halftime performer, but then at the same time, I'm like, the whole world is expecting us to talk about this second half for the next two hours, and the best player in the world may or may not be part of it. Now, fortunately, yeah. he came out and he was fine, and it was an unbelievable game. But like, halftime was such a mix of like, man, I really want to watch this performance, but I got to make sure I get my shit right because if I'm not ready for the second half, like 100 million yeah. people are going to let me know, you know. Uh, the last big play was the flag. I'm gonna I'm gonna toss to the sound right now so we could hear your call. 
prior to the pass. Holding, number 24, defense, five-yard penalty, automatic, first down. Yeah, that's worst-case scenario. You'll see James Bradbury. They're going to say he grabs him. He's got his left hand on his back. I don't know. Mike, listen, I think on this stage, I, I think you let him play. Obviously, Mahomes thought he saw it. I think, I don't know, I think you let him play, finish this thing out. I don't love that call, Mike. I mean, I think you got to see the whole thing. It seemed to me at the initial break. In real time, you were you were on it. Like, there's a flag. Do we want that flag thrown there? Now, were you thinking about going hard on that and saying, let's crush the refs here? Why are you throwing no. that flag? Or did you feel like just that was your natural reaction? No, a lot of people are like, man, Olsen's been waiting for that moment. I, I love officiating. Like, I, I would joke with Mike Pereira like, and Blandino. Like, I liked officials. I was not one of those guys that had a lot of issues with refs and I'm sure I had my moments where I argued a PI sure. call or a whole, you know, whatever, but I was never like an anti-ref. I I've been on record. I think their job is extremely hard. I think if the average person went out there, they, they'd be like, they were caught in like an interstate traffic jam. They wouldn't, things are happening so fast. And I don't think anyone could process it as quickly as those guys do my point in the game. And there was no, like, I, that's just what I felt in the moment. I think unless you were a chiefs fan, Every, the 115 million people watching that game would have loved to see. And all we are in the booth is fans, right? I don't give yeah. a who wins. Yeah. I want a great game. I want a game with some action. I want a game that unfolds, that allows us to really give a lot of fun insight to the fan, right? That's what we all hope for as, you know, you know, people that cover this sport. How much, how great would it have been if that ball gets put in Jalen Hurts' hands and the MVP runner-up has one more possession to beat the MVP and go down there and see where the game unfolds. It was back and forth. Kansas City comes back from behind. They, let's see how it unfolds. And then it just like was a big wet fall, right? Like I know. They run know. the clock out. They slide before the goal line. They run the clock down, take a timeout, walk off. It, it is so anticlimactic, and that flag probably was the right call, but going back on it, you could make the argument not to throw that flag in that spot, and who knows if that's one of the all-time yeah. greatest finishes of all and time. Here we are, and here we are. We're saying we could get the first overtime game in NFL history, right? We got to make sure, like, in between breaks, as we were getting there in the fourth quarter, and we're like, you know, it's you know within three. It's within a one score that a tie is real, right? We're thinking, all right, we got to make sure, like, if this does go to overtime, everybody is clear on the new rule, right? Like, everyone gets a possession. This is playoff. Like, yep. we're just we're having those conversations during the break to make sure if we do go to overtime, all right, who's going to set the rules? How are we going to bring it? Yeah, because you're talking, because the Patriots and Falcons did go to overtime, but this is the new rules. Where the new rule, that's what I mean. With the kickoff. Was, yeah, yeah, with the kickoff yeah. changes, and, like, you get one possession, and then— and it's not regular season rules. It's specific for the playoffs. And we hadn't seen one all playoffs. That's right. So we, we had never seen it since they implemented the new rule. It obviously was the big deal after the Bills-Chiefs game when Mahomes and, and Josh uh, Allen had that epic back and forth. And then, um, you know, you know that both of them don't get a chance in the overtime to possess the ball. So they changed the rule. And we're like, could you imagine if it the first time it ever unfolds is in the Super Bowl? We were damn close. We were damn close. So... I think we all had that moment like, man, we're really there. All right. Even if they kick this field goal now, now uh, Jalen Hurts has a chance to go down and he can answer or potentially win, whatever. And then obviously it became kind of anticlimactic. Bucker just lines up for a kind of a routine chip shot, albeit it's the Super Bowl and uh, the rest is history.
We go back to the hotel afterwards. After the post-game show wraps up their show, I'm doing my stuff on the field. You got the studio guys uh, breaking down the game. You and Burkhart take a, a ride back from the stadium to the hotel, and I'm going to put you in my perspective, my shoes. I get back, I go change, and there is a small little after party at the hotel. And they're like, anyone who worked on this today, whether you're behind the scenes, you're on camera, you're in the booth, you're in the studio show, why don't you come and let's let's have a few drinks. Fox is going to foot the bill, and let's just appreciate the season and this amazing Super Bowl that we've had. We all go there. You and I talk for about five minutes and then you say, okay, I got to go. Where are you going? I'm like, this is everything you've worked for your entire season and maybe your entire professional life thinking about the Super Bowl, calling it. And you put on a cowboy hat, which I don't know why you were wearing, but you put on a cowboy hat or straw hat of some sort. And you stroll out and I see a roller bag suitcase with you. It was about 10 o'clock Arizona time. Greg Olson, can you take it from here and tell us how you spent the night you called your first ever Super Bowl? Yeah. So this, this is a really, I, I think this is a story that everyone, not just you, enjoys the most and kind of is a perfect ending to what was a crazy year. So originally we were out of town the week before my wife and I went on a little trip. So we were away from the kids and then I went out the whole week of the Super Bowl. So I hadn't seen my kids. I saw my kids for like one day in 10, 12 days. And I was like, you know what? It's a long week. After the Super Bowl, they opened up all these random flights from from Arizona to Charlotte, where I live. And there was like a 2 a.m. or a 1 a.m. local time flight that was like a mini red eye, like a, a, you know, whatever, back to Charlotte. I was like, I'm taking it. I'll get back from the hotel. I'll change. I'll shower. I'm getting out of here. And no, my original flight was like 1130 local time. Okay. <laughs> my original flight was 1130 local time. So I wasn't even going to come back. I was going to go straight to the airport and get out of there. From the game. You're going to call a Super Bowl, then go to the airport. And I was like, home. I'm beating the crowd. A couple of years ago, I was working the Minnesota Super Bowl. I forget who played. Maybe like Philly, New England, maybe. Philly, New England. Yeah, yeah. And I took, I made the mistake of flying out Monday morning and it was an absolute cluster. There was, okay, okay. it was a mess. So I'm like, I'm not doing that again. So I arrive and our boss, you know, our crew boss, our producer, uh, Richie Z, Z's like, Hey man, I got to talk to you. He's like, you can't not come back to the hotel. I'm like, wow. I'm like <laughs> we're going to be together all week. I'll have a dinner and drink with every single person all week. I'm like, after the game, man, I want to get out of here. He's like, you can't. I was like, all right, fine. So he talks. And why do you think, why do you think that was? Because of respect to the bosses or like, because he knew you're going to want to take a moment to just decompress uh, with your probably friends. Probably both. Probably both. <laughs> so I get, so long story short, I get talked into staying. I'm like, you know what? All right, I'm going to come back. So the morning of the game, I go on and I'm like, all right, I got to find like a perfect medium. I don't want to stay a whole nother day and take a red eye Monday night. Then I have like 24 hours here. There's got to be. So long story short, I quickly book a flight at breakfast morning of the Super Bowl <laughs> that leaves at like 1.30 local time. So now I'm like, I'm going to come back to the hotel. I'll see everyone, have a drink. We had about 500 bourbons. Yep. They made the biggest mistake of saying everything on the th is on the house. <laughs> like, I might be the only guy in history to ever make an old fashioned with Pappy Van Winkle. <laughs> we were, it was great. And so I'm glad I came back, but the story just gets worse all <laughs> the entire time. So not only was first class sold out, but I buy a coach flight. 
Not only did I have to take a coach flight, I had to connect in Austin. <laughs> you called the Super Bowl two hours earlier. So I, I got done calling the Super Bowl. I had three Pappy Van Winkles with the guys back at the bar. Threw on my hat, T-shirt, shorts, roller bag. I'm like, I'm out of here. I say goodbye to everyone. I go to the airport, but it won't let me check in for my second leg. So I thought that was weird. Like it only let me go from Arizona to Austin, but then the 6 a.m. Austin flight to Charlotte, it wouldn't let me get my boarding pass. So I go to the ticketing agent and I'm like, hey, it won't let me check in. Can you give me my boarding pass? She goes, well, Mr. Olson, your second leg from Austin doesn't leave till Tuesday. (laughs) And I was like, I said, no. I said, I can't. She's like, I can rebook you, but I was supposed to be first class from Austin to Charlotte. So now, not only am I coach, I'm coach from Austin to Charlotte now because I booked the flight for 24 hours from when I was actually getting into. So I literally get on the plane. I put my hat down. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? I fly from Arizona to Austin, get up, get off the plane, have like a hour, you know, layover. Yeah. Back on. I'm like in row 21C. I'm like fighting. <laughs> called the guy. Super Bowl last night. And everyone's walking by and they're like, hey, nice job on the Super Bowl. I'm like, yeah, I'm <laughs> Let's fly home, coach. You know, everyone else is out on private jets and, shit and I'm, I'm sitting on a private. Uh, I want to say it was like Southwest. I think it was, dude. I didn't want to call out any airlines or whatever. But like, if I'm not mistaken, I think the story that you told me was like, you're like, I'm on Southwest and I'm not in boarding group A. Yeah, like, I, I, it was like it was. It was the worst. Knowing that I was going to call that game, I couldn't have done a worse job planning my departure if I tried to. So my my, I would say I have the most unique. No one has. I'll just say this: no one has flown home from calling a Super Bowl like me since like 1965. Exactly, and that was on like a Greyhound bus. Yeah. 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 Uh, so to sum it up, from my perspective, you're drinking Pappy Van Winkle at the bar on top of the universe. Hundred millions of people watching. But there is nothing more humbling and more blue collar than you just getting your lunch pail and your cowboy hat and you getting on that boarding group, boarding group C, whatever it was, connecting in Austin, waiting and then flying home. But you know what? You saw your kids in the morning. Saw them. They got off the school. I took like a six hour nap. I, w- I didn't participate in the in society for like 48 hours. <laughs> I rushed home to do nothing. But nonetheless, it was uh, what was a great, busy, but awesome week. Um ended in very appropriate fashion. It's so fitting. It's it's the it's the walk we we walk, my friend. Uh it's it. We are grinders. That's what we are. Uh I wouldn't have flown coach in a million. No, I'm kidding. Uh <laughs> I actually to be honest, if you know how often I'm flying like uh, I would have like completely just obsessed over that flight and probably not even known any of the players. Um, I'd be like, is the flight on time? Am I, de- are, am I getting upgraded? Like that's all I would have cared about during the game. That's why you're a better pro than me. There's like a running joke like with, even with our crew or like in my wife, my wife's like, you, what hotel are you at? I'm like, I have no idea. She's like, what I go where the itinerary is. Yeah, I was like, oh, no. I, I don't know. I'm like, I land, I get in the car and wherever the car <laughs> drops me off, that's my hotel. She's like, where are you eating dinner? I'm like, I don't know anything. I <laughs> what time are we heading to the game tomorrow? He's like, the, we're, we're going to meet downstairs at 11. Yeah. Like, Done. He's dialed in. He's got the restaurant. He's got the gluten-free got options. He's yeah, got it he's all. Got it. I, I don't, I always say, I don't, I don't water my, I don't bog myself down with the details. Yeah. Big picture. Um, guy. Big picture. Uh, one more on that one, like before the game, because I think I always say this, um, I have the 
honor every three or four years, whenever Fox is the Super Bowl, we get a credential and we're able to be on the field before the game. And I like taking a nice long lap and just soaking it in and being like, this is a once in a lifetime experience that I get to experience and I'm not going to take it for granted. Did you get that moment at the Super Bowl? Were you able, I know you said Rihanna was performing, but like, did you get a chance to enjoy the experience? Well, I actually have another amazing story that's going to, it's amazing. <laughs> like when I keep telling these stories, people are like, it's amazing this guy can like hold down a job because he's a disaster. So me and Burkhart all week, we have, we know that we have a hit with the pregame guys um, at whatever time. So we go down. So they bring us downstairs. We go up to the booth. We get set up and they're like, hey, we're going to bring you downstairs. I don't know, whatever the time is locally. And they bring us to the green room, like where all you guys are down for the studio and the pre- eating like caviar. And yeah, it was pretty yeah, nice. You guys get treated. I'm eating chicken fingers and, and, and uh, stuffing my face with Jersey Mike sandwiches. You guys are eating like filet mignon. So me and Burkhart get escorted down by, by our, by our, by our guide. And, um, we're sitting in the green room watching the, that pregame show. And we finally, after like a hectic morning, we're just like kicking back. They do our makeup and we're just sitting there. All of a sudden, Burkhart's phone starts blowing up and it's Russo, Rich Russo, our director. He's like, where are you guys? You're about to miss your hit. Uh. And we're like, holy shit. So we grab our jackets. We run out of the green room. We get to the entrance to the tunnel. The players are taking the field like in pre pregame. They don't let us pass security. Yeah. So we're like, no, no, guys, like we we're like, calling we, the game. We're like, we, we don't have care to be on the pregame show in like three minutes. They're like, I'm sorry, the tunnel's closed until the players get back to the locker room. We're like, no, no, no. So we're like asking, we're like those people like trying to talk their way into the bar, yeah. you know, like, the nightclub. Yeah, no, no, I'm somebody. Johnny. I'm somebody. Yeah. Yeah. The Johnny, you know, I got him. He told me I have a table. So we now get out to the field and there's no leisurely. We don't get the Peter Schrager leisurely walk around. We take off in a full on sprint, but we don't know which corner of the stadium. (laughs) Long story short, we make it to wherever the hit is. They come meet us. They give us our IFBs. We're putting them in our ear. I plug it into my pack as I'm walking to my spot. And it's like, and now down to Kevin Burkhart and Greg... We walk into the shot as the second it gets tossed to us from Kurt. Yes. I, I forget. And we, I don't even know what we said. Yeah. I'm in a no one cares. Set. You're there though. You made so it. We 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 so we 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 uh we go off of our hit. We look at each other. We're like, well, that was a horrible way to start calling the Super Bowl <laughs> because we almost missed our pregame hit. So no, my pregame was not as uh, leisurely and as. I'm, not- I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm like smelling the grass. I'm, I'm, in full, I'm in a full sweat. I can't even see straight. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, oh my god, I just ruined the Super Bowl because I almost missed my hit. Can I share my pregame story? I've got so many, and I feel like I didn't get a chance to tell this on the podcast. You'll appreciate this. So I'm walking around with Peyton, Woodson, and Vic. Now we're the we're the secondary pregame show obviously we're not howie terry all those guys those guys are working we are done for the day we have about an hour until the post game so we have a chance to just walk around and now sean payton's likely a hall of fame coach when he hangs it up charles woodson one of the greatest football players to ever grace a field and michael vick a cultural icon and me so we're walking around and there he is jay-z jay-z is staring us right in the eye and I'm like, how is this going to go down? First thing he does, he grabs Charles Woodson, brings him in for a giant hug. Then Michael Vick, giant hug. Then Sean Payton, giant hug. Then he locks eyes with me. 
And he gives me a hug and I'm like, okay, I'm in. Then he goes, let's get a picture. All right, I'm in. Jay-Z then positions his body in a way where he can grab three different folks with his arms. And I knew my place. I quietly drifted out of this photo and the photo is taken of Jay-Z, Woodson, Vic, and Peyton. And I am like so sheepishly just slinking out of the photo, but like also know that there could be some cultural relevance. Should I get in this photo? Should I slide back in? And I'm like, do I slide back in? I sat out the photo and and I did not make the photo. And sure enough, the photo goes viral. Now, a minute later, this is where I get my redemption. A minute later, Gordon Ramsay walks by. (laughs) Gordon Ramsay, I don't know if he knows football. He might think I'm Joe Montana, but he sees I'm with Fox and he sees me with all these other guys and he sees Sean Payton and then Gordon Ramsay comes over and Gordon Ramsay's like producers, like, why don't you three get in a photo? And it's me, Payton and Ramsay. And sure enough, Gordon Ramsay from his Instagram feed with a hundred million people is like Fox NFL Super Bowl crew. And it's me, him and Sean Payton. So Jay-Z, I didn't want to be in your photo. I got in the Gordon Ramsay photo. Let's go. All I can picture when you're telling that story is that Keen <laughs> Peel, um skit where he comes down off the podium and he's like giving everybody hugs. But then he like shakes the random white guy's hands. Like I, that was you. That was me a hundred percent. And I knew my place. I knew my place. The only now, thing that would have made that story worse is if he handed you his phone. It was like, hey, seriously, you can you take it? I've had that happen plenty. That would have been worse. I've had that. Trust me, Greg. I've had that happen. Um, all right. Now we turn the page and it's like the come down from the Super Bowl. And there's nothing more humbling than your first game back being assigned Saints Texans preseason. How'd that go? <laughs> you know what? Um, prep for it was a little challenging, a little daunting, especially when we talked to Dennis Allen and he told us that literally not one no one's played. The, the Texans at least did us the favor and played like the first two drives with most of their starters. So we at least got, we got like a good quarter and change yeah. out of CJ Stroud and the conversations. Sure. You the, got your Nico Collins for the year. Yeah. You checked it off. Good. Yeah. The Saints did us no favors. They did not play <laughs> a single starter a minute of play, a second. They didn't even put a uniform on. But how did it feel getting back in the booth, though? It was good. It, it, you know what? I, I actually, as much as you're like, oh, a preseason game, it's actually yeah. really good it's great. to just get one out of the way, grind on 55 different wide receivers and 40 different linemen and just put the prep in and just get yourself back in the in the flow of like, all right, this is what a normal week's going to feel like for me for the next five months. So you better you better wrap your head around it, you know? And um but it was fun. It's always good to be around the crew. The, I always like going to New Orleans. I got a good energy. It didn't feel like a yeah. preseason game. So it was a nice warm-up. It was a good kind of rehearsal to get the bugs out. And um, and we got a good one for week one with Bears Packers. You sure do, which is, to me, the most intriguing matchup in the entire NFL slate. There's bigger names elsewhere, but like I don't know what to make of the Bears, and I do not know what to make of the Packers. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. As we turn the page towards this weekend, have you dug in on your prep for that game? And really, what are your immediate takeaways on Justin Fields and Jordan Love? 
Yeah, I've been. I, I started diving in over the weekend and just kind of reading some of the clips and. I, you know, knowing we had them, you know, for the first game, you know, just following in preseason, following guys, you know, some of the beat writers on Twitter and who are the surprise guys at training camp and all that. But now that the rosters are set and you can really dive in, um, I th- I'm with you. I-, I think there's a lot of unknown. I-, I think it's hard to really prepare for Jordan Love, firstly, you know, first off with the Packers, because, we, you know, we've seen him spot play. We've seen him come in at times for, for Rodgers in various situations, but we've never really seen him operate an offense tailor made for him, a system tailor made, you know, for his strengths and Matt LaFleur and him work closely week in, week out. So I'm with everyone else. Everyone's like, how are they going to be? I'm like, I don't know how anybody can really make an assessment of Jordan Love fairly, um, good or bad, until we see him play, until we see him operate behind center. And then compounding that, they're the youngest team in the league, right? You, you, I was just spending some time with, with both the Bears and the Packers roster and you know, they got some vets at the offensive line and on defense, they got a lot of vets returning. A lot of names that we're all familiar with, Kenny Clark and, you know, Rash- um, uh, Rashawn Gary, hopefully coming back healthy from his ACL. But like on offense, it's Bakhtiari and, and some offensive, Elton yeah. Jenkins. We're and talking about offensive linemen. Yeah. And then it's like rookie, 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 second year, Christian Watson, second year, Romeo Dobbs. Um, you know, they got the vet running backs, but it's kind of a funny team. Like, they either got veteran guys at offensive line and, and running back, and then everyone else is first and second year at all the rest of the offensive skills. So I think there's a lot of interesting storylines for the Packers. And then the Bears, their roster looks more like an NFL roster now, at least mm-hmm. on paper, than it did. And I think with, with DJ Moore on offense and you know investing in a top 10 pick at tackle and Nate Davis, they invested him in free agency. Like they got some dudes. They they got some guys now on offense to hopefully help Justin out a little bit. And um, I think they're going to be better. And again, how much better? I don't know. But obviously, all eyes are on the two young quarterbacks. And that makes it for a fun week one. I said it on the show today on Good Morning Football that it feels like a case study almost of nature versus nurture. Like Justin Fields was just thrown out into the fire and yeah. two years was just under siege. And it's like, all right, you've got two years under your belt. It's year three. You've seen the, the the as dark as it can get. You've been there. You know, 10 straight losses last year. You've done it. On the other end, Jordan Love's been sitting on the bench and watching and having this really nurtured and I wouldn't say coddled, but like you, that is the dream situation that you get three years to learn an offense yeah. and three years to grow. And then he's almost been in a lab for three years. And it's like, okay, it's one situation, which is a philosophy of throwing the guy out there. And the other philosophy is let's let him learn. And this is the most extreme sense. I'm curious to see who comes out and who's got jitters to start. Yeah, I think it's such an interesting topic because it's really what everyone talks about, right? It, you know, Mahomes, oh, he, Mahomes sat. So if Mahomes sat, everybody should sit their rookie year. And I'm, I'm a big believer that if you're going to be good, you're going to be good. And if you're going to be, you're going to be. I personally think we use these like anecdotal examples based on whatever you think to like support one way or another. I think Patrick Mahomes was going to be Patrick Mahomes, whether Andy Reid played him week one of his rookie year or he sat behind Alex Smith and then eventually took over. I think how Justin Fields ends up his career, whether he went through the fires of playing as a young kid, you know, he didn't technically start game one. He took over for Andy Dalton. You could say in essence started as a rookie because it only took a couple weeks. His career in my mind is going to be the same. It's all about the structure. Who's the coach? What do they surround him with? Whether they surround you with a good system and good supporting players day one as a rookie or in Jordan Love's case, year four, 
I think your career is going to be what your career is going to be, regardless of when the journey starts. I just interesting. I think we see so many examples. Cam Newton played day one. That was that was on your team. I was going to mention him, and that was with Ron in his first season. Right. So, do so, I think Cam Newton's career would have been better or worse if he waited till year three? I don't. I think his career was as was the great career that it was. He was going to have a great career whether he started game one, game six, or year two. Same with Mahomes. His career, he was still going to be the same player as long as Andy Reid was his coach and the system, and he's the player that he is. I I just believe in all my heart, like we make too much about this guy was only good because he sat. This guy was only good because he played game one. I really don't think a lot of that is as important as everyone makes it out to be. In your research, can you give me one nugget on Jordan Love that you have found that I don't like? Because like we did a, a test in our show where it's like, if I show you a silhouette of these young quarterbacks throwing, yeah. can you identify it? And we went 0 for 4 on Jordan Love's throwing motion. He played one game against the Chiefs where his mom and dad were sitting in the 90th row at Arrowhead. I remember that. And Jordan Love looked terrible that game and looked right. ill-equipped. And then we've heard great things this summer. Like, is there one thing you've learned in doing your weeks of research leading up to this game that you could share with us? You know, I, I think I'm like everybody else. You know, every everything you read and whether it's fair or unfair, it's just the nature of the beast. Everything you read is him at this stage versus Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers' first year starting when he took over for Favre. Okay, what does that mean for Jordan Love taking over for Rodgers and kind of passing that torch? So like he's going to operate right now in that world. Whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent, it doesn't matter. That is the reality when you follow a guy like Rodgers, just like it was for Rodgers when he followed Favre. He, he, you're not going to escape that. I think the thing that I'm most curious about is like, I know, and I know Matt LaFleur kind of, or uh, the, the GM kind of like just, you know, downplayed this idea. Yeah. But I think for the first time, Matt LaFleur's offense now in Green Bay is going to be Matt Dude, LaFleur's offense. Mark Murphy's the president of the team and he speaks. I always listen because it, it comes from the top. And he said, we're going to see what Matt's offense looks like for the first time. And that was taken as a slight of Aaron Rodgers. Like he didn't run LaFleur's offense. No, it, Rodgers gets in there, it opens up a world of possibilities you can do. This is the offense that Matt LaFleur was planned to run where the quarterback is just going to operate it and not audible out and do his own thing. Yeah, it's going to be more it's going to be more reminiscent of Shanahan's 49ers, McVay's, you know, even though when Stafford got there, they kind of yeah. evolved into a little bit of a different iteration of that offense, but you know, maybe the Jared Goff version of the Rams offense where it was really the system and operate within it. I think we're going to see that really for the first time since LaFleur's come in and and that's not a knock on anyone. I just think yeah. that's the nature of when you don't have a Hall of Fame quarterback and you have a young kid. Okay, now we hired Matt LaFleur because of his offensive creativity and his mind and his system. Okay, now we're going to, it's going to be more on the forefront because he doesn't have a Hall of Fame quarterback who had done it at a high level, you know, for over a decade before he came in. It would it makes sense for Aaron Rodgers to do things he's comfortable with. You don't just come in and revolutionize a player like that and, and, make, him, and make him change his game. So I think that's going to be interesting, but I think, Everything we all know is a very small sample size, which I never try to judge anyone by their best game or their worst game. So in a guy like Jordan Love, you really don't have anything in between. And I really take everything that comes out of training camp with a grain of salt because every single player in training camp has the best training camp they've ever had. They look amazing. Yeah, so that's it. I, I'm really not really making any big predictions as far as Jordan Love goes because he's wildly talented. He's athletic. He's big. He's strong. He's got all the measurables. We the kid deserves the right to go out there and play before anyone passes judgment, good or bad, on him. Um, 
this is the game of the week for Fox, which is a big title for two teams that I don't think many people have going to the playoffs, honestly. The Vikings were the defending division champions. The Lions are the hot team in the NFC North. Bears could have a jump, and the and the Packers obviously could keep it going and be great. But it, to put that crown on this game says a lot about the fan bases and the traditions, and it says a lot about you guys going up there and doing it. Now, one more sports broadcasting question, and I know you said you don't know the itinerary, but like, Take us through the days leading up to it. If you're a listener and you know you're going to see Greg and obviously Kevin Burkhardt on the call, when do you guys get in? What are the meetings? And now in a post-COVID world, are we back to production meetings? Is it still on Zoom? What can you share with us as far as from your chair, what your next two days are? Yeah, so on a, on a typical week, th- this week, week one, we start a little bit earlier just because you know the, an- the anticipation of opening week. But on a normal week where you have a game on the previous Sunday, Monday, I don't really do a lot. I kind of take it as a personal day, catch up on some things at home, do stuff with the kids and my wife. And Tuesday, I'll really dive in. So Tuesday, I start with the team I know the least. So if I'm if I'm calling a game with an AFC, you know, team or you know, a team we just don't see very often, I'll start with them on Tuesday. Like, what do they look like? Who do they have on the team? What numbers do they wear? What do the jerseys look like? Like just familiarize yourself with something that might not just be top of mind. Like maybe if I'm calling a Cowboys game or a Philly game, which we see a lot, we kind of know those teams pretty well. Um, You know, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is really just familiarizing yourself with the players, the schemes, the storylines, you know, reading all the clips coming out. Uh, They send us all sorts of information and stats and, you know, analytics and, some really interesting things that you can build some context into game plan and personnel adjustments and, you know, tendencies of each team. And really that's where, for me, I build a lot of my storylines that I want to talk about for the game. Like a great example is Philadelphia last year, towards the end of the year, we obviously had them a lot yeah. throughout the playoffs and, and and through the regular season, they became one of the big stories of the year. So we're calling them a lot and everyone's just fascinated with fourth down, right? Everyone's fascinated with fourth down. But all this information that we get, aside from just watching us, say, yes, they go on fourth down. Everyone in the f-ing world knows that. Like that That's not insightful. What can we add? What can I well, what add? Perspective add? So yeah. Thankfully, the, the Fox researchers and the team, they send really, really good data that dives into all the tendencies and the percentages and all that. Not that any of that would make the roster, would, uh, would make the broadcast. But through our prep of the week and my conversations with Kevin, some of our best conversations come from those midweek. Great calls, right? And I'll call Kevin and be like, Kev, how can we in the middle of the game, everyone's talking about them going for fourth down. How do we talk about fourth down on second down? How do we talk about fourth down on third down saying, hey, Kev, it's third and four balls at the 42 yard line. We will know whether Nick Sirianni is going for it on fourth down based on what call they have here. And Kevin will do, he's like the master at like setting all that up. And he leads me right into it and say, Kevin, if they turn around and hand this ball to Miles Sanders, and we know, you know, they're going for it on fourth down because if not, yeah. they would attempt to pass. So the, to answer your question, like our midweek conversations as a crew and emails and Kevin and I spend a lot of time just talking things through. Sometimes the things we talk through don't ever make air because it sounded great on Tuesday and come Saturday, it just didn't make any sense. Totally. But like, that's one example, like those cool conversations, those moments that align on, bro- on game day that just really work in the broadcast really just come from a week of throwing things against the wall, reading between the lines, the context, the articles, and trying to say, like, how can we take this conversation maybe deeper to the viewer than just give them the the surface level context? They go for fourth down three times more than the other team. Like, no one gives a about the stat. 
stats. You can't, there's only so many stats the human brain can take. Yeah. So like, to, so like, that's a big part of our process. We, we go in on Saturdays, we do all of our calls with the team via zoom. That's worked for Kevin and I since, cause we were, we, the season Kevin and I first started working together was post COVID. You weren't allowed yeah. in the building. And it worked for us. We felt like we got more people because we got them on phone, uh, on Zooms. We felt like they were very open. It worked for travel. It worked for our schedule. So we've kept it. It's worked great for our team. Um, and we go to a group dinner on Saturday night. We have a production meeting. We get together. We kind of put all the, the final touches on the broadcast plan. And then Sunday morning, we get up and let the game unfold. All right. These are the the in, the inside the weeds questions. The group dinner, is that out at a restaurant or are we eating in the hotel banquet room? No, we, we try at all costs to get. Now, we might eat in the hotel restaurant if it's a nice okay. restaurant. But we're trying to get out of the. We'll do our production meeting first, handle business, go through graphics, go through any of the, the highlights, the bumps, the in and out of the stuff, storylines, talk through the game. Once we feel we're in a good place, we we make it a point as a crew, everybody. We make it a point as a crew and we'll roll sometimes 12, 14 people deep. Yeah. And um, it's, it really, I think it's the highlight of the week. I think everyone looks forward to it. I think there's great banter. I think there's great camaraderie. I think people like book their travel to make sure they're done with their work and done at the trucks or whatever they're doing to like make dinner. Um, and I just believe in that. Kevin and I have really tried to make that a point with Aaron and, and Tom and everyone's bought in and um Erin usually kind of spearheads where we go a lot of times. Nice. She has great contacts. She knows a lot of good restaurants around, around the around the, you know around the country and whatnot. Or everyone kind of chips in where they where they have a insight. And um, it's a highlight of the week. We love it. It's a good way to kind of start off the weekend. And then we know Sunday morning we wake up, we get ready to roll, we go to the stadium, and game time. I'm gonna make a pitch right now to Tubi yeah. or Fox Sports One or NFL Plus. We love Anthony Bourdain, right? We love his journeys, his travels. We love football. <clears throat> I would love a show where it's not about the games. We just go on with these crews to their Friday night, Saturday night dinners, and we spend a different night with each crew each week. Is that not a great content? I feel like that's hey, something I would love to watch. I think people would love to see. Our dinners are, a lot of times, are hysterical, and we get great stories, and just I, I think it's great. We try to go somewhere different. We try to go to good places and try new things. And I, I'm, I'll be honest, it's really a highlight of the week. I think it's something that everyone really looks forward to. And I think it's a great idea. I'd be happy. I think to it honestly, it's like last for years, I would come in for Fox on the uh, Sunday pregame show and I would just eat at the hotel and maybe I'd get a drink with Woodson at the hotel. Last year, Sean Payton spearheaded. He's like, let's go out on Saturday nights. Let's yeah. go out. Not too late, but let's go out. And that's where the camaraderie forms. That's where the chemistry forms. And it really, I think it led to a better product on air. I Oh, I definitely think. And we have some of our best, I mean, we cover a lot of topics at these dinners, right? And But I would say some of our best ideas that have made air and made the broadcast come from just impromptu debate, impromptu arguments, conversations, whatever you want to call it, over a crab leg, over a steak, yeah. over a, you know, over a bourbon, just it, there, it, you just, once everyone feels comfortable that they can be a part of the conversation, and this is not just three or four of us that run the show and everyone else shut up. Like this is yeah. a collaborative event, right? This is a collaborative crew. We are open to all and any suggestions. And some of our best conversations that Kevin and I have gotten on air or stories that, that Aaron and Tom have shared on a sideline hit have come from just an organic conversation at a dinner or casually in a social environment where it's like, 
guys, that would be great conversation to have tomorrow, you know, in the second half, if the game's out of whack or, you know, whatever it is. And sure enough, sometimes, you know, not always, but sometimes it lines up and that dinner conversation makes its way on air with maybe a few more PG, uh, yeah. PG related language. Yeah. All right. This is awesome. We're going to do a quick exercise right now. I like always having fun with a guest and do like a game of some sort. And as if we're previewing the entire season as a whole and knowing that you've got a full Fox slate ahead of you with the A game, I thought it would be fun to do an exercise with you where we're picking three different breakout teams each. Now, breakout could mean anything, but a team that shows great improvement from last year, and it might not as not necessarily be a playoff or non-playoff team, but every year we know that there are teams that go from the bottom to the top, and there are teams, there's so much parity. We're going to do a little draft. You're going to go first. Give me your first breakout team out of all the 32 that you think is going to make the leap this year. I think a team that comes to mind right off the bat that I think was, was were their record was worse than maybe how they were, so they probably have the most built-in equity as far as the upside, would be a team like uh, New Orleans. Okay, right? go so on. I think, I think the Saints... Obviously, adding Derek Carr makes a big difference. But I think they were better than their record was last year. Their offense was horrible. But, I, you know, Michael Thomas, the injuries to him, if he's back, anything like, you know, you mentioned we, we were with them two weeks ago for the preseason game, and they're raving about what he looks like. So let's hope that's true and that's the case. They get him back. I know Kamara's going to miss a couple games. He, they say he looks good. He'll be back. They should be, even if they're just marginally improved on offense. Their defense last year down the stretch, the last 10, 12 games. I remember. It was one of the best defenses in the league. They were giving up 16 points a game and losing. So, like, I think between just coming, resorting back to the mean of just media, even if they're just okay on offense, that's an improvement. If the defense just holds serve and stays top 10, not asking them to make a huge leap, just be what they have been. And then you factor in the division is going through a little bit of a rebuild. There's new quarterbacks everywhere. Carolina's got a rookie you know, Atlanta still figuring out what they want to do, Desmond Ritter, whatnot. And then Tampa, obviously, with Baker, you know, replacing Brady. Their schedule is very easy. I don't think they play it. I think they play like one playoff team in the first, you know, seven, eight games. Like, I just think all the ingredients are there that they could be a team that we'd look that says, oh, man, not only did they win the South, but, you know, they're the three seed or they're the four. I don't think that would be completely out of the picture. Okay. Saints are off the board. I love that pick. I picked them to win the division today on Good Morning Football. I think that their defense is very good and they have an upgraded quarterback. They should be able to handle that. I'm going to go with a team that's gotten so much hype and so much buzz. And I've, I don't know if it's just because they're in my backyard and that I, but I think the Jets are going to be really good this year. Like I look at their defense last year. They're the number four defense in the league. They added talent on defense. They got a first round pick in McDonald. I love Tony Adams, their undrafted safety, who's been having an outstanding training camp. And then you add Aaron freaking Rodgers. Like, I'm, I'm a believer. And I know a lot of people are waiting to pop a, a, a pin into this balloon and just see it go, and come down. I don't know. And I wouldn't be shocked if we wake up Tuesday morning and they put a licking on the Buffalo Bills. Am I crazy in saying that? I'm in on the Jets, man. Uh, yeah, it's hard not to, right? I think the Jets are the no-brainer. I think the... I think all your points are, are so spot on. I think the lazy national thing is, oh, do you get Rodgers, you're automatically good. I don't think people realized how good they were last year. They went through some injuries. They lost Brees Hall, the running back. I mean, we called that game when no one gave them a shot, and albeit the Packers weren't maybe the yeah, Packers. Of but they went years. into Lambeau and won. They went into Lambeau and didn't just beat them. 
they beat them soundly. We walked out of we walked out of Lambeau that day, and we were like, I don't know what the Jets are going to accomplish this year, but they're young, they're athletic, they're they're aggressive, they're talented, and they're pretty damn. And Robert Sala is a damn good coach, so I think I, I'm with you. I think you know the addition to Rodgers is the obvious choice, but I think aside from him, it's a good team. Aside from Rodgers. I've got the Jets winning the division. That's how bold I'm wow. All right, Greg, your second oh, team. You. What do you got? So you, you, I'm glad you gave me the caveat of like it could still be a playoff yeah. team because I think a playoff team that if the, the average fan, like I don't even know if people realize last year Jacksonville got so hot at the end, upset Dallas. We called that game. They went on a walk-off pick six and over. I think it was overtime. Yeah. It was. Yeah, it was overtime. Walk-off pick six and overtime. But like they were kind of under the radar the year before they were a disaster. Doug Peterson comes in. People were expecting a little bit of improvement. Trevor Lawrence, you could say, has his breakout year, really kind of establishes himself with that AFC young group of quarterbacks. And then they go on to win a playoff game. I know they won a playoff game last year. I think this year, again, very similar to the Saints, division, record, good young quarterback, stability, I don't think there's any, I think we could look up in December when the playoff seedings are getting set and we could say, yeah, they win, they win their division. The division's kind of down. They win their division yeah. and they could be fighting for a bye, right? They, they could, could be, be the one seed. Absolutely. They have the fifth easiest schedule in the NFL I saw. So I think, again, the, the prospects of your season is not always just, okay, how good are you as a team? I think there's going to be some really, really good teams who go eight and nine, who go sure. nine and eight, just because the schedule they, play dictates. A, yeah. they play a brutal schedule. They, they're at a conference. Teams are brutal. They, they got to cross uh, their division. They ground. Maybe they won the division last year. So they play every division winner in conference. Like there's so many factors to success year over year that you could not get any better. And the next year be a three game, be three games better win win loss record just because your schedule, just because your division sucked, just because a couple things went your way. There's, it, so I think, and you don't apologize. I think that's the nature of the NFL. So I think Jacksonville has a shot. As crazy as it sounds, the other guys all beat up on each other and they're sitting there at the end of the year fighting for a top spot in the playoffs. My number two team are the Detroit Lions. I'm a believer. Like Again, I, maybe I do this show too often on the mornings and we did it since May and June and July that eventually you're just like, all right, we've been hyping this team so much that I, I can't go against it. Uh, right. I think their offensive coordinator is really good. This Ben Johnson. Right. Did you guys call any Lions games last year? Did you get a yeah. chance to? We called Lions when they beat the Packers in Detroit. Um, okay, yeah, because it yeah, was week Detroit. 18. That was on Sunday night. So yeah, yeah, this kid is 37 years old, not a household name, but I could tell you, he took his name out of the head coaching carousel and said, I'm coming back to Detroit early on in the process. I think he would have been a head coach at one of these teams that hired new head coaches. He was that hot a name. Uh, I think week 18 was like his coup de grace with calling hook and ladders and crazy stuff in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I think he's awesome. And I think their defense has gotten a lot better with Campbell and Branch and they go out and signed Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Like, I've got the Lions winning the NFC North. I think they're going to be hosting a playoff game. Yeah, I, I don't. I think you're spot on. I'm excited. I mean, two days from you know, two days from as we sit here recording this pod, yeah. the whole world's going to see. And they have, and Dan Campbell has not shied away from it. He's like, give us the spotlight. He's like, for the first time. And I thought is, I thought it, I heard, I forget where I heard him say it, but I thought it was so cool. He's like, people were asking him, is it is it hard to have expectations? Is it hard to shoulder like for the first time in a long time? And he's like. 
Hell no. He's like, you know how I hard I've worked for mm-hmm. us to have expectations? Like when you go into a season with no expectations, that means you've been a failure. He's like, we're not only accepting it. He's like, we're leaning into it. We, we are so thrilled that finally people expect us to do something. Why would we shy away and under and downplay it? He's like, so, the, I mean, they got their shot. They got the world champs um, uh, Thursday, Thursday night, night off the season and they got their shot. All right, your third team, you've already done the Saints and the Jaguars that you think is going to take a leap in 2023. You know, again, another another playoff team, but maybe a team that no one last year, even though they were a playoff team, very similar to the Giants, right? Like, I think when the Giants made the playoffs last year, people were like, great story, Brian Dable, great job first year. Um, you know, Daniel Jones had a great season, ended up getting a contract off of it. But I don't know if anyone was like, man, they're going to make a deep run. I, I don't know if they were at that point. I think Seattle was kind of in the same boat last year. Let's go. I'm in on the Seahawks too. Right? Talk about it. So even though they did squeak in and they made you know, made the playoffs and whatnot, I don't know if anyone ever considered first year with Geno, how they're going to replace. I think they have gotten young. I think they've gotten talented. I think they've hit on a lot of these draft picks. I think, um, I know it's Vic, um, Smith and Jigba is going to be, he's going to miss some time with that. Uh, what did he hurt? He hurt something. Yeah. Anyway, I think they hit on the running back. I think they're young. I think they're talented. I think Gino has far exceeded everyone's expectations, at least nationally. I think internally there, they always thought he was pretty good. Um, I think they got a shot again. It's going to be them in the 49ers. We'll see what happens with the Rams. Can they get back a little bit from last year's down year? And I think Arizona has a, has a long uphill battle right now to, to be relevant again. So I think schedule wise, they're okay in the division. And I think when we, I think they're a team that that has a chance to make some noise. My last team that I think is going to make a leap, and it's on just bravado and gusto and leadership alone. I'm going the Broncos. I I know they play a brutal schedule. I know the AFC West is not getting any easier, but like, I'm a hackett guy as far as X's and O's go. Clearly, it didn't work, and now you put Sean Payton, which is such a cult personality. And again, I'm biased. I watched the man for a year as my colleague on a show, and I saw how he operates. He's a genius, a beautiful mind when it comes to football, and he's one of these guys that doesn't stop. He's also a late guy. He's not into the office at 6 a.m. He's in the office till 2 a.m., and that's where his mind is festering, and he's coming up with creative ideas. I just think on Sean Payton alone, this Broncos team is not going to be any worse. They're going to be at least two to three games better. And I think they might be fighting for a playoff spot. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think we saw the worst of Russ last year. I think he has too much pride um, to allow it to happen again. I think that team, again, was better than their record. They had a, you know, between injuries and poor play and dysfunction, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think, again, like certain teams, there's like an equity built in that, Last year, if like a couple things, they're, they're a two or three win better team than they were the year before. So like you almost carry that over with you. And it's, you know, and then it also works on the other way, right? Like I think a lot of people are, are saying, Minnesota, you go 11 and 0 in one score games. How realistic is that? Although I, I thought Kevin O'Connell did a great job. We, you know, we called their playoff game against the Giants. They were a great story, but equity could work both ways, right? I think some teams have upside equity built in. And I think some people have a little, built-in depreciation that can we expect every bounce to go your way again? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think that's what makes every year so exciting. So excited to see you on Sunday. Uh, again, I will reiterate, this is uh, a great idea that we have come up with. This is Anthony Bourdain meets John Madden meets uh, Guy Fieri meets Gordon Ramsay. It is 
going to be, I think we, we pitch it to like Bill Richards and Joel Santos and Skip, their amazing like cinematographer. And we say, just pick a random crew and you follow them and you just eavesdrop on their dinner. And we throw that up on Tubi or FS1 or FoxSports.com. Greg, are you in it? Can we executive okay. produce this thing? Make it work. Executive producer, Peter Schrager. That's it. I'll take it. Um, Add that to your right. list of jobs. Yes, we, we will take it. Uh, Greg, good luck on Sunday. Thank you so much. Really quick before we leave, can you talk about the amazing work you guys are doing in Charlotte and how the foundation's going and all the latest there? Yeah. Well, I appreciate Yeah, it's going great. We, uh, you know, we, we are very passionate. I actually just spoke at a, a, the World Pediat- uh, the, the Congress of uh, Pediatric Cardiology, which is like a world wow. summit. It was in Washington, D.C. Um, last week. So I was actually out there. So it's something that we live with something that we live and breathe and, and with our son, TJ, and, and what he's been through. But we uh, we take a lot of pride on our foundation. It's called the Hardest Yard. We we launched a pretty extensive uh, program here in Charlotte, both inpatient, outpatient, new uh, new heart center that we were able to help build and, and whatnot. So we actually just branched to our second um, location down in, in uh, Charleston at MUSC Children's Hospital. Oh, awesome, so we were able to expand to a second so we get a little more regional kind of footprint. So it's, it's something that we love. It's something that we're very passionate about. And, uh, you know, our, our goal is to, to try to make the path of a lot of people that find themselves where we were 10 years ago, um, have a little bit of an easier path than our son did. And, uh, if we do that, then mission accomplished, but it's something that we love doing and we take a lot of pride in. I appreciate you letting me talk about it. What a blessing, dude. Thank you. Good luck on Sunday. I'll be rooting you on all season. And of course, right. the, the listeners here have gotten to know a different side of you that I think they'll enjoy. And you and Kevin are going to kick ass and send the best to Bruce and Zions and Aaron and Tom, of course. I will, buddy. It's always good chatting with you, man. Thanks. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. That was awesome. Greg Olson, the week of NFL kickoff, and he's probably got so many things on his plate, gave us an hour. Um, we so appreciate it. Again, Greg and Kevin Burkhart, two of the best guys you'll ever meet. I say that about all my guests. I really mean it this time. I usually am uh, saying that with just my hopes of them coming back on the pod in the future. Um, this week uh, for the monologue, we just kicked it off. But for the post-interview, I really wanted to give a quick uh, little essay of sorts and bring in a different guest on the microphone. You guys have heard me reference the name Jason English. He works for iHeartMedia and he helped put together uh, this podcast and has been such an important piece of the success of the season with Peter Schrager, but he's also become a friend. And, you know, I, I, I was really shaken up and I was a little surprised by how shaken up I was by the passing of Jimmy Buffett this weekend. And I am not a parrot head. I did not go to the shows. I, uh, you know, don't live and breathe all the lyrics, but I love what Jimmy Buffett stood for. Um, Jimmy Buffett, obviously the musician, it was a diehard NFL fan as well. And as the story goes, he was performing as a native of Mississippi. He was performing in New Orleans in the late 60s. And it was the same time the Saints were uh, starting off as an expansion NFL team. And it was as casual as he was a performer in the local bars in the French Quarter. And the players would come in to drink and have dinners. And he drew up friendships with these guys. And Sure enough, the first ever Saints game in 1967 at Tulane Stadium, 
Jimmy Buffett was there. He was there and he's been a fan ever since. And uh, he passed away on late Friday night of cancer that he was battling and had not announced publicly, but close friends apparently knew. And I was really shaken up by it because here's just always been a fixture in my life. And Jimmy Buffett brings positivity and brings joy. And, you know, you sit out at the pool, you could put on a few different you know, sets of playlists. And I think the Jimmy Buffett playlist is one of those that's probably played at 50% of every pool's backyards and barbecues that you can find in summer. And I thought it was almost fitting that Jimmy Buffett waited till after the summer to finally say farewell. It was like, all right, I'm going to get you all one last summer. Then on Labor Day weekend, um, that's where we're going to ride off into the sky. Uh, I spoke to Sean Payton this weekend because he and Buffett had a really close relationship and we were exchanging texts about it. Peyton uh, had shot, had Jimmy Buffett in the locker room after they won the NFC Championship game over the Vikings and Brett Favre in 2009, one of the most epic NFC Championship games ever. And there was Jimmy Buffett amongst all the players celebrating as if he was a part of the team. And Peyton said there was no way he wasn't having Jimmy in there. And Buffett's story, as the legend goes, is that he got there the day before from a private flight from Bora Bora. But on the way from that private flight, they had to stop because the tire blew out on that private plane. And if that's not the most Jimmy Buffett story ever, I don't know what is. Uh, Ten years later, the Saints go back to the NFC Championship game. They're hosting the LA Rams and Sean Payton flew in, you know who, Jimmy Buffett to sing the national anthem. Over the last several days, uh, we have seen tweets from J.J. Watt, who apparently has seen Buffett multiple times in concert and has performed with him. Greg Bensel, who is the PR chief for a long time for the Saints, had a really strong connection with him. And the one that blew me away, and, I, and, and if he wasn't calling the game on Thursday night, I think I was going to bring him on and just talk about his connection to Jimmy Buffett. Chris Collinsworth had a flurry of tweets. And as a University of Florida graduate, I think um, he and Jimmy Buffett had a 40 or 50-year friendship where, you know, he had multiple, multiple tweets mourning the passing of Jimmy Buffett. Uh, I've mentioned the philosophy and the approach to life. Like, don't get it straight. Don't get it twisted. Jimmy Buffett was a businessman. This guy was a billionaire and no one branded himself better than Jimmy Buffett in this laid back, cool Caribbean vibe with Margaritaville. Um, but that Key West thing, I think he lived and breathed it. He had multiple homes. Uh, he was living out in California for a long time, obviously has the New Orleans. He's got the Key West. He uh, had a place in North Haven, New York, which is on the eastern tip of Long Island, where he would spend his summers and spent COVID. And I think the the message that you get from Jimmy Buffett is like, enjoy every single day. And yes, there's work to be done, but when you're not working, enjoy it, relish in it, uh, relish it, and really savor it. And gosh, as we start the NFL season and what we have going, I just thought it'd be cool to bring Jimmy Buffett up and kind of give him a little bit of an obituary on the season with Peter Schrager. And as we're talking about it. Jason English is here and Jason's been a great friend for the last year. And you mentioned Jason that you yourself were like pretty taken aback and obviously had a connection to Buffett as well. Yeah. There are some of these celebrity deaths that just hit a little different. I'd say Tim Russert was one many years ago. Anthony Bourdain, who you mentioned earlier, Jimmy Buffett was the same. It just feels like the world's a little, a little less fun without him in it. My, my parents were big, Jimmy Buffett fans, we'd go down to Sarasota, Florida. We wouldn't listen to Jimmy Buffett at any other time <laughs> of the year, but during those trips, we'd be we'd have the Floridas. These were these were tapes when I when I was a kid. Yeah. Floridas, off to see the lizard. We of yeah. course had the greatest hits, the songs that you know by heart. Yeah, right? that, yeah. yeah, the yellow the yellow album. I got to see Jimmy Buffett a couple times. 
I'm glad I, I ticked that that off. Uh, when my father passed away, we actually used the Jimmy Buffett quote uh, in the in the you know the little card with yeah. the obituary. A quote from he went to Paris, yeah. uh, which was some of it magic, some of it tragic, but I had a good life all the way, which, you know, Jimmy Buffett definitely lived a full life, a great life. You, these tributes coming in, Paul McCartney, uh, the Colin Jost book has a, a Jimmy Buffett story in it. So you figure those will just keep pouring out and Jimmy Buffett, the the legend will never die. The, the music will never die. And, and the memories I have of, of listening to him with my father will certainly never die. Oh, dude, that was beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you mentioned Paul McCartney. I thought Sheryl Crow had a really uh, amazing thing. And then on CBS Sunday morning, one of the commentators was close with him. And, you know, he was telling a story about Buffett's last days and those who knew him knew he was going through. But uh, the name of his most recent single, I believe is oh, something about taking a gummy, right? Did you read this from McCartney? It's, yeah, yeah. And the story goes is that he was having a small private dinner in the Hamptons and invited was Paul and Linda McCartney and they're there and she trips and like stumbles and she says, oh, I think the gummy's kicking in. <laughs> and he says, that's the name of a song. And Paul McCartney's on the other side of the table saying, what? Like, what do you mean that's the name of a song? He's like, that's the name of a song. So before he passed, Jimmy Buffett, I believe, wrote and performed a song saying, uh, that's the gummy kicking in. And, uh, you know, that's, that says a lot about where his inspiration for lyrics comes, but all the readings that I've done and all the stuff that I've done on this deep dive, and I better believe on Sunday, I was blasting, you know, everything from Finns, uh, to cheeseburger in paradise to, to Monday morning. Like again, my, my father was more, you know, Steely Dan in the house and the Doobie brothers and Spencer Davis group and some of that classic rock and not so much the Margaritaville and the Jimmy Buffett style, but I've grown to appreciate the Buffett approach to life and hopefully, hopefully um, can keep that going where when you're off the clock, it's okay to be off the clock. You don't have to live online. You can just have fun and enjoy. And I think that's a beautiful message that you said your father uh, brought that to you and that you, you gave that quote at his uh, his funeral. That's beautiful. Well, thank you for uh, for having me on. Do a... 10 second shout out to uh to the Duke football team. We have my uh Riley Leonard Heisman trophy stock looking good after after night so one. Off off camera, you and I are off mic. You and I have talked about Riley Leonard way too much. What is your connection to Riley Leonard, the Duke quarterback? I, I get the the Phil Steele season <laughs> preview uh every July. And I'm as a Duke fan, it, it's often not don't ever see Duke no, anywhere. You see Coach K and you see uh, Carlos Boozer and Trajan Langdon. You don't see these guys. And I'm looking at the the, the quarterback projections, and it's Caleb Williams. It's the Drake May Drake from UNC. Penix in Washington. But it's Riley Leonard, number three. So I, I did not realize what we had going into this season. So I'm jumping on the bandwagon and... Uh, Good, good win last night versus Clemson. Go. Great win against Clemson. Although, Lafayette next. Although I want to mention for our listeners, Arizona, 38-3 to over Northern Arizona, and they are the official team of the season. Matt Rule was also in the They lost, so they're done. It's like survival. Like, Matt Rule, you can go kick rocks at this point. I know you came on our show, but you can't lose to Minnesota in the first week after you come on the, the season. So Jed Fish and the Arizona Wildcats – and you're Duke Blue Devils, and Aaron, I don't even know what team. Aaron's, what, what do you Carlton. got? Carlton College. Carlton College. Knights. There we go, the Knights. Go Knights. 
nights um, there as well. Uh, okay, season starting. Here we go. We're going to have one more podcast, I think, before the kickoff. Might want to post this on Tuesday, and that one might go up Thursday with just my predictions, but I'm not even sure we, we want to cut this one short. We might want this one to live on as the top of your feed for the entire weekend. It was that good. We'll figure it out. Uh, on behalf of Jason, Aaron, all the folks in LA, Greg Olson, awesome as always, and uh, put on some Jimmy Buffett, folks. The summer's over, but it doesn't mean you can't keep listening to his message. The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower... 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.